You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. How many times have you found yourself encouraging your child to share, be polite, perhaps to empathise with another child, especially after they've just made them cry? If you're like me, with two small children, it's every five minutes. Teaching our children how to play well with others is an obvious skill most of us want for our kids. Actually getting kids to listen and understand these skills can feel like climbing Everest with little possibility of making it to the summit. Dr. Laura Jana is a spokesperson for the American Academy of Pediatrics and author of The Toddler Brain, Nurture the Skills Today That Will Shape Your Child's Tomorrow. This is part two of a three-part series. Last week, we played part one, which was about self-regulation. Today, we're talking about playing well with others. And next week, we'll talk about getting our kids to be fit for failure. Hi, Laura. How are you? Oh, good. Thank you. Always a pleasure to join you. We want our kids to have friends, to be kind and polite. But are there other benefits to learning how to play well with others that parents of young children might not be aware of at this stage? Well, it's actually a great question because, you know, I'm a pediatrician. I deal a lot in the parenting world, deal a lot with early education. And what I often have gotten is the, that's great. It's a warm, fuzzy feeling if our children learn to play nice. But there's actually a whole lot more to playing nice than a lot of people realize. What I've done in the toddler brain, I just took one area to focus on, and that was business. Now, there's a lot of people very interested in successful business, innovation, leadership, entrepreneurship. And if you look in some of those realms, there are things you can find from, you know, Harvard Business Review writes an article, and it might say, you know, emotional intelligence, two of the hottest words in corporate America. And you're like, wait a second, I'm sorry, what did you say? And it's emotional (laughs) intelligence. We're talking about playing nice with your friends. Yes. And I use the example also in the book, um, LinkedIn, huge company, visionary, Silicon Valley, you know, um, global network. And I always say, do you know what the tagline is for LinkedIn? It's relationships matter. So I've made the point that, you know, if you want to take that world, that corporate world, everyone. I mean, there's literally articles written about how coders, which if you think about coding on the computer is sort of your image of somebody sitting in a cubicle somewhere with a computer screen, how the single most important skill is, you know, is emotional intelligence and relationships. And you think, what? So to give context, yes, it's hugely important. And we know that sort of as as parents, I think we're the ones who most know that because we all want, I don't, I've not met a parent who said, I don't want my children (laughs) to learn to play well with other people. Um, But yes, but to give that context, it has huge value later on down the road. There's studies that show it now. So to me, it's supposed to be reinforcing to parents. We know that we want to do this. I certainly believe in helping parents figure out how to do it. But for anybody who thought it was just sort of a nice, warm, fuzzy thing, it is. I've got three children. And when someone says, your children are so nice and they get along, I'm like, okay, that makes me beam. But I also know it sets them up for future success as well. So what are the fundamental skills that children need to actually get along socially. Sure. So why don't I do my quick translation for you? Because in the bigger picture world, I hear all the time, you need communication, collaboration, and teamwork. I can say that to Fortune 500 executives, and they all nod at me, right? Like you're doing, they nod at me and say, yes, yes, that's what we need. That's what we need for the workforce. That's what we need in today's world. And I say, let me translate. 
Put your listening ears on, use your words, learn to play nice with others and in the same sandbox. <laughs> right? And those are preschool skills. Those are age, you know, three to five when kids are learning social skills and how to interact with other people. And so what I've called that set of skills are we skills because it's very intuitive. We, how do you get along with other people? So those are the people skills. At their core, it's, you know, everybody can think about playing nice, right? And there's communication. But back those up even further. It's the ability to use your words and language, but it's also active listening. And I hear the discussions about active listening, like really concentrating on what someone's saying, not just hearing them, but internalizing what they said and responding appropriately. Equally, in the early childhood realm, and in the business realm. We need it in the bigger picture world and we need it, you know, and it develops in early childhood. So there are those components. There's also learning to read people is not just language and emotions, but it's body language. So all of those skills that go in to learning to read other people, my new expression as somebody who's been a longtime early literacy advocate is it is just as important to learn to read people as it is to learn to read books. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Dr. Laura Janet, a spokesperson for the American Academy of Pediatrics and author of The Toddler Brain, Nurture the Skills Today That Will Shape Your Child's Tomorrow. And we're talking about how children can learn to play well with others, specifically why we would want them to do that apart from having their own friends. And Laura's just touching on um, the premise behind The Toddler Brain is really how early learning today can shape a really positive future for all of us tomorrow, which if you've been listening to Kindle in Conversation for any length of time, you know we believe in that. When it comes to reading other people, do you think children are in a way more sensitive to that than we give them credit for? Because they live in the moment much more than we do, don't they? Sure. And there's actually some really intriguing neuroscience behind the fact, and I call babies emotion detectors. But what I tried to do in the toddler brain was bring in some of this really interesting research, but tell it in an interesting story. And one of the things, there was a study that someone did with infants, right, under the age of one, where if one of the researchers came into the room where this child was sitting at the table playing with some toys, there was another researcher at the table, and the the other person walks in the room and is upset, whether angry with the other researcher, but off to the side, not interacting with the child, that child, less than the age of one, will react differently to that angry person the next time they see them than they would to somebody that isn't, you know, who isn't angry. And so keeping in mind, children are very acutely aware of emotions, right? They sense them long before they can control their own, long before they formally can read other people's, they're sensitive to it. So that's one thing to remember. But in terms of of being able to read emotions, yeah, it starts very early. I often tell parents, especially with that, so, you know, you you, you uh, have young children, you know the frustration of like the one, two, even sometimes three-year-olds who they get really upset and you don't know why, yeah. right? And you they can't, because they've got this emotional outburst and you're trying to figure out why it is. That's where I said, you know, um, helping them understand their emotions, helping them to understand someone else's. But what I tell parents when they have the urge to get upset, because it can be really frustrating as a parent is, think about this. Do you respond better when someone is really upset, like sad upset or angry upset? I I think it's not as effective to get really angry at a child who's having a meltdown and a temper tantrum or, or whatever it is, as it is to say, you know, and if they're being, you know, if they hit you, if they do these things that you don't want them to do. I always found it's much more effective with young children when they see you upset about it. 
that makes me sad. I don't want to, you know, even for very young, under the age of one children who might bite a mother on the shoulder as she's holding, or that, you know, the child, putting that child down and looking hurt has much more of an effect than just anger. I find that anger at children, especially when they're not really in control, tends to do what it does to me. If someone starts yelling at me, my first reaction is defensive before I even start to process what it is that they might be upset about. Okay, so here's the thing. With my son, who is almost three, he... I have on occasion used that sad face and I feel like I'm manipulating him. You know, instead of thinking, no, first of all, let me just say, I love the fact that you bring your children into the conversation because here's what I find. If all of us as parents just talked about the challenges we have, we'd realize we're all in this together <laughs> because I do think there's this tendency that we think it's just our child. And, and so you know, you'll note in the toddler brain, I talk about my children, I now have three teenagers, <laughs> um, and I have their permission to do so. But I do it intentionally. But um, instead of thinking of it as manipulation with what you're doing, you're emphasizing. You're making it more apparent to him. because How I feel anyway. Right. Think about if you were teaching him how to write his name. You wouldn't, you know, write really quickly on a piece of paper and just you write in slow, big block, you know, block letters that are emphasized. I mean, if you were going to do that, this is the equivalent for emotions, you're going to call them out. You're going to articulate them. And, you know, I found when my children were very young, probably one of the single best things I did, which is one of my recommendations in this we chapter in the toddler brain, is narrate your emotions. I'm feeling this. I'm frustrated because of that. I'm so excited because of this. Because children look to you. You know, they look to their parents to figure that out. So you're not manipulating him. You're teaching him. And if not you, then who's going to? Because what you don't want is a child who ends up being, you know, he's about to be three. You don't want him 13 and being oblivious of, the, of other people's emotions, not understanding what they are. He sees something going on, but he doesn't know. So it's not his issue. How do we teach these sorts of skills in terms of listening and paying attention to body language, all that sort of stuff? How do we actually teach young children to do that if we're looking at a situation? I'm just going to take siblings because that's my most common experience is when they don't get along because they're close to each other all the time. It often feels like the moments run into each other. Like when you could stop and try to say, well, how do you, th you know, how does your brother feel? Or how would you feel if you did that to your brother? It literally feels some mornings that it's happening every five minutes. Sure. How do you suggest parents approach those moments when it feels like it's just ongoing? Sure. And to, to get to the point about the ongoing, it is because that's peak rate of learning. This is the time when these skills develop very rapidly. And so it can feel like you're not getting it right because there's all this conflict and there's lots of emotions and people aren't really using their words and things. <laughs> yes. If you shift how you look at that, that's their chance to learn it. You don't learn if you don't get to practice and you're not always going to get it right. So you're, they're, they're practicing them. I am a big fan of, of ongoing narration. And if you spend your time in the adult world, before you have children, if you constantly narrated everything, people would look at you like you were crazy. Yes. But as a parent, think about it. What you're doing is helping children learn to perceive the world, perceive other people and how they think or feel or how they might think or feel by narrating it. That accelerates the process, right? You're not leaving them to go figure it out on their own just like you don't leave them to go figure out tying their shoes without ever showing them, teaching them maybe some quick ways to kind of figure it out. So that's a really good way. There's the other thing, and again, I start to sound like a broken record when I start talking about 
early literacy and reading books to young children. But again, just like children can learn me skills, right, like they can name their own emotions, you also see that children can pick up very young. They can pick up facial expressions in books. And it doesn't even have to be human faces like pictures that they can pick up those subtle cues. That is a very valuable skill. The other example that I use in the chapter, which I think is a really fun one, because as soon as I say it, it's like a light bulb goes off and people realize, you know, one of the other core aspects of we skills is empathy. And empathy, you know, people toss the word around a lot, but it involves perspective taking. So if you empathize with somebody, you can you can actually sort of feel what they're feeling and you can take their perspective. So a lot of people will use the expression, it's walking a mile in someone else's shoes. Now picture your three-year-old. Your kids ever put on shoes and tromp around the <laughs> yes, house? Yes, all the time. Okay, do they ever pretend to be you or their father or whoever, right? Okay, so what they are literally doing is testing out, sometimes for the very first time, what it would be like to be somebody else. Now, I like the, the direct reference, right? Like they're wearing someone else's shoes. But at the same time, that sort of dress-up play, pretending to be someone else, it's very hard to pretend to be somebody else if you're not working hard to think about what it would be like to be them. How might they think? How might they act? What might they say? What might they do? That is a core foundational stage towards developing really strong we skills. And in fact, you can take it from that level of children and make-believe dress-up play to the level of, you know, a quote that we've got from former President Barack Obama, who said, in this day and age, what the world needs more than anything else is empathy. They, people need to be able to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Exactly. And we should be starting that early and fostering it with children far before most people think of it that way. But at its core, that's zero to five. And in terms of um, how, what I mentioned then, so if my daughter hits my son for no particular reason and I say, well, um, or she hits me, let's say that because she does hit me. Mm -hmm. She'll hit me and I'll say, look, darling, I don't hit you, do I? How would you feel if I hit you? Is that, again, a way of trying to get them to see it through your eyes? Yes. And there's no one right answer for parenting. It's a tough one because on the one hand, it's not acceptable and you want your daughter to know that it's not acceptable. Sometimes my kids, that wasn't quite enough for them. And then I'd say, and I don't feel like playing with you. You hit me and I don't feel like it. And that makes me sad because I was really excited to spend the day with you or we were going to go to the park. But now that you're hitting me and yelling at me, I don't feel like it anymore because it makes me sad because you hurt me, because you hurt my feelings. And that's where, you know, I think one of the things that it's really easy to get wrapped up in the early childhood parenting stuff, the day-to-day -day of parenthood, keep your sights on the big picture. Ultimately, you want your child, you know, when I talk about me skills, I'm talking about self-awareness, self-control. I'm not talking about me as the center of the universe. And what you want them to do as they get older is start to think about other people as much as they think about themselves. Part of that is recognizing that their parents have feelings, and that's where you can really do a lot of good. And, and it can be that you're sad because you wanted to play with her, but now you don't feel like it anymore because that hurt, right? Yes. It's, it's a good lesson that way. And again, you'll notice it's very different than just getting angry with her. You can be abrupt. Hitting's not okay. And if you're talking about a five-year-old versus a, you know an 18-month-old, it's less okay. But at the same time, it, instead of anger, it's the, until we get this figured out, I don't want to play. 
Such a good approach. Laura, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. Great talking to you. That's Dr. Laura Jana. She's a spokesperson for the American Academy of Pediatrics and author of The Toddler Brain, Nurture the Skills Today That Will Shape Your Child's Tomorrow. This was the second of a three-part series that we've done with Laura. You can find the first part, which was about me skills and self-regulation skills, on our website. Just head to kindling.com.au. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.